Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Folks, welcome back to Now and Again. This is part B of our Best of 2018 special. And uh, with me, as always, it's uh, my my partner in crime, Nico Vasillo. How are you today, Nico? You know, I'm doing great. I it's really funny because I do too many shows on this on this fucking network now. And you know, sometimes Joey is like, "Dude, pull back, or you're going to do more than me." And I don't think anybody can do that. So I think he's just being humble and adorable. But I I keep being like, "Okay, wait, get in the right headspace. You've got this, brother. You've got this." Chris is yeah, introducing let's... you. Okay, cool. Hey, everybody. I'm just here to talk about some music I like. Hey. Let's actually do some quick admin before we jump into our our favorites of of a pretty bad year. So there there might not be much to talk about. We do have an announcement, but we're going to save that for the end of the show about, about the future of now and again. A couple of special things, some special programming coming your way. Um, but outside of now and again, uh, Nico, tell tell the folks at home about your other shows on the network. All right, so I'm going to make some cool new announcements. This will be the anchor from which I announce a bunch of shit. So Kevo, the amazing Kevo, who is always in the background of our episodes, just occasionally shouts in, you know, every now and then I'll be like, Kevo, can you answer this for me? And he'll just be like, so, you know, it works out really well. But at the end of the day, we wanted to bring that a little bit more front and center. It wasn't enough that Kevo just shouts in the background. So we've been doing HTML, which is husbands talking more or less, in which we like to have uh, spirited discussions about whatever. Right now we're doing Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it quickly devolves into me doing bits and Kevo being like, are you done? <laughs> and trying to steer us back to things like who made the movie. I think the most interesting thing that I'm walking away from this project with right now is now I know what a cinematographer does, which then made me think, what the fuck does a director do? So then I was like, wait a minute. If a cinematographer evidently does what they do and a director does what they do, now I understand why there's no room for writers in Hollywood. And now and now you understand why no single person can take the blame for a, a horrible movie, even though they do. There's, there's no singular author in, in film, which is, is a beauty of it. Yeah, that's what we're discovering with Exes for Podcast, where we're doing comics. We are really having trouble blaming any one step of the process. There's like just so much shit to go around. Like, I can't stop thinking of people to blame for some of these comics. So that's been really interesting. Also really interesting, Exes for Podcast had something that we've never had to do anywhere else. Uh, so I really appreciate that this show is just super straightforward. I just say what I think and... I say, you know what, cut that, and Chris goes, no, and it stays in, and it's terrific. Uh, but X is for podcast. I'm a little bit more like, I'm a little bit more psychotically meticulous as an editor, I think, uh, because I have a vision, and it has to be what I want. And because we're covering kind of a changing volume of material each time, I'm having a little bit of trouble predicting what will make a good episode in advance. So we've had to re-record some episodes several times. Oh, no. <laughs> like, top to bottom. Oh. Top to bottom. And, like, so then what'll happen is one of us will be like, okay, no, no, no. You have to remember to make that joke again, because I thought of an even better joke to respond. And, like, but the second we get into recording, the conversation about the material becomes so organic 
no one remembers what it's from, so I try to, like, I'm like, oh, no, fuck, we left out that joke. So then I take the original take that had three issues that we wound up having to push to the next episode, and I'm trying to cut out parts of it, but in this one part, he mentions that thing about, I can't fucking use it now, fuck! And I get, like, it's been some Frankenstein-y monsters, so X's for Podcast took, like, a little bit of a breather so I could get my brain back together, and... We are relaunching weekly, which is really exciting, with a slightly shorter content each week, because it just it, it all starts to bleed together. It all starts to be one giant misogynistic 70s comic all the time. It's really... Storm can only need to be naked to feel alive so frequently. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, didn't, didn't that. They didn't, that didn't make it into the movies. <laughs> You know, it's really it's it's interesting too because like I'm never going to ap- apologize for racism. I'm never gonna be like, well, no. I'm like, no, it was fucked up back then. They didn't know it was fucked up, so maybe there's one shred of of innocence that is actually just unwillingness to confront ugly truths of your society. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm never gonna be like, yeah, Chris Claremont used the N word here, here, and here. And he used it as somebody saying, don't you dare use that word, but then you don't need to say the word. You can allude to it. And, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing by writing something really powerful. And it's just one of those situations I'm never going to defend the ugliness. But one of the things that I am finding is it's just so fucking prevalent. And it's everywhere it's superheroes thinking it's okay like so there's this one thing we talked about it's in an upcoming episode and then i promise i'm going to move on but i just i have to say it to you because yeah you'll appreciate why i thought this was amazing and i don't expect you to be spoilers for our next episode which is already been recorded we go off on a, a tangent similar we, we 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 go absolutely ham on a song and video for its um you know, uh, problematic racial features. Uh, <laughs> so, like, this is just totally on brand for for us. Anyway, it's nice to see that it's carrying over or leaking over, depending on how you see it into another show. Oh, it's in all the shows in MCU.html. We had a running bit where we counted up the number of women with names, and at one point there was a greater number of films than named women. Yeah, that's that's not surprising. When I saw it and, and heard you guys talking about that, it was like, when you get to Iron Man 2 and it was like three women? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of them wasn't even in that movie. So, like... Yeah, I can't even think of who the third one would be. So, like, that's that goes to show how well-written and interesting and, uh, I guess, in in the forefront of that series women even were for most of it and probably even currently I'm just really glad that Hulk's girlfriend was only like Bruce Banner's girlfriend and never Hulk's girlfriend because I can really see like I'm glad Zack Snyder didn't direct a Hulk movie because I can't imagine the Hulk having a love interest I imagine the Hulk having a giant person condom and I don't think that would be a good thing you would definitely see the Hulk stick in the Zack Snyder cut (laughs) I hate it so much the ultimate cut we were in an an issue of Marvel Team-Up, which was a book they used in the 70s to promote smaller characters. They would have them appear along Spider-Man and Marvel Team-Up. If Spider-Man had too much going on that month, like he had a special bonus book somewhere else, Human Torch would step in because until there was a Deadpool, there was Human Torch. The book was a standard. Everybody read Marvel Team-Up. That motherfucking thing ran 150 issues, seven annuals. It was a notable series. It was only canceled to give Spider-Man an additional title. So there's a little there's a little bit about how central 
crossovers were to building the Marvel Universe, which is why the comic industry just can't let them go. Anyway, in this issue of Marvel Team-Up, the original X-Men, Sans Beast, so it's Iceman, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Angel, are teaming up with Spider-Man to some real dumb shit. I don't even remember. And at one point, Angel and Cyclops can't stop trying to, like, out-measure each other for Jean's attention. So Spider-Man just gets really sick of this. He webs them both, kisses Jean, and then jumps out a window. <laughs> okay. And some parts of that... Some parts of that are kind of like, damn, Spider-Man just said, nah, guys, I got the biggest spider dick, and that's that's real hot, but the part where he touches Gene is disgusting, and it ruins the cool, and it ruins the hot, and there's three or four of us on this episode, and we all go nuts on this moment, and I had to edit it down, because I had, like, 11 raw minutes of three of us just shitting on Spider-Man for this. And we were like, if he had just stopped at cucking the other dudes, he didn't have to touch the hot wife. And, like, it just was absurd. If you like when Nico and I go nuts on gross shit, and also comic books, like, it carries right over, so take a look at um, Extra Podcast and uh, HTML on the network, cageclub.me. That's awesome. You got both of the names right. I don't even get the names right, so I'm really happy you got the names right, because sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm on several shows. I'm on, like, WWW, and I'm on um, Now and Then, and I'm on My Ex-Girlfriends Are Podcasts. I don't remember, <laughs> but you should check them out. You can see them over in cagematch.u. How, how I Met My Monster. Yeah. How I Met Your Monster, that's exactly right. Everything about this is exactly about now, and uh, now that's what I call music. Speaking, you know, kind of kind of to, to, to segue and kind of time together, I, uh, have you seen uh, Enter the Spider-Verse yet? Not yet. I'm so excited to go. Uh, Kevo Jonah and I had to catch up on some movies. It was a little more important to me, as much as I'm excited, because Miles Morales means so much to me. And uh, I'm super obsessed with Silk and Spider-Gwen and think that whole movement of strong Spider-Women is incredible. I had a chance to see a Latino man sing next to Mary Poppins. And growing up, I wore out two VHS copies of Mary Poppins. I would just rewind it and put it back on so frequently that I destroyed multiple VHS copies of it. So clearly, I had to go see Mary Poppins Returns and... I'm just not marshalling my time for movies quite as high right now because so, I'm doing all these fucking podcasts. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so. I, n- I never have time to see movies. A couple, I didn't know anything about this other than it was like animated Spider-Man and I, I, did, I wasn't interested and a couple people dragged me to go see it after uh, an exam and holy shit, it's fantastic. They should just stop making superhero movies that don't feel like this because it's like genuinely fun and exciting and visually stimulating and funny without... That kind of like everyone in the movie is suddenly like a quippy, clearly written character. Like they all feel natural. Uh, it's it's great. You tell me that out of nowhere, it doesn't sound like Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Shecky Green, and like I can't even think of a, a, a fourth comic. All get in a room and randomly have superpowers because that is starting to hurt a little bit in HTML. 
A few too many people are a little too funny. It comes back to something you said to me one time. I need to give you credit to something you said when you were like 21 years old that has stuck with me for 11 years, and I do this to you way too often, but I do it less now. Point of the story, you said this amazing thing. We were talking about one of your friends doesn't didn't like Gilmore Girls or Veronica Mars, and I was like, as somebody who is unlikably quippy like them... Because in real life, you would hate Veronica Mars. You would be like, she's such a bitch to everyone. Why does she always have to have a comeback? I know, because I'm not as smart as Veronica Mars, and I hear it all the time. But you said that you really have to like that kind of character. You really have to want to dial into that sort of has a response for everything all the time so fast. And look... Just not everyone's going to like that. And it's fine to have one character like that, but like to have an entire, you know, League of Extraordinary Quippers gets a little frustrating after a while. Yeah, it's it it does start to feel like, you know, okay, I'm I'm moving on because they're, they're it's all the same kind of humor so frequently and it's actually by director and I'm not trying to get too onto the other show, so stop me here, but it is it is a really good note that you made that I do agree with you. I, I actually don't understand why people think Deadpool is so funny sometimes because my response is Deadpool just sounds like everybody else in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, exactly. He just says the fuck word sometimes. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, well, that was our year in comics review. Join us next week. Uh, um, so, <laughs> music <laughs> happened. Uh, we'll, again, we have some other announcements to make at the end of the show, so stay tuned. So, music. Nico. I know, I know that we said then, and you specifically said that there was not a lot to love in 2018, and I kind of agree. Um, so I have my list of uh, my favorite 20 albums of the year, and honestly, it was pretty tough to make. Um, some of it's a stretch, um, and then there was a lot of good stuff. And as I as I revisit some of these albums, I I like them more. I just it's just compared to last year, we were so excited for this episode and for the playlist, and it was just kind of this year's. There was some music. I very much feel the same way, and, you know, not even necessarily dialing back into the Mariah breakdown I've had over and over again in the last few episodes, and I believe there's a huge one upcoming. I actually think, I think the most epic Mariah breakdown of all time starts the next episode, (laughs) so, yeah, you know, that was a little disappointing. I really liked the Robin album, but it's a very specific feeling. You need to, like, really need to be in, like, a Depeche Mode, enjoy the silence... I don't care if this ever goes anywhere kind of place to listen to that Robin record. And I found myself quickly moving through that place emotionally. And BT released a song just before the end of the year. And it's really great. It's so fucking good. It's called Noetic. And it made me realize that I literally thought it was the last three songs he released. I kept being like, wait, no, I know this one. It's that's, oh shit. He's getting to a point where he has... It's actually something that I think is really interesting. Not to go back to comics, but you can actually trace when an artist starts to really draw the same face over and over again. I don't necessarily mean that as an attack. I just mean it as a commentary. You really do start to see the artist's consistent face begin to appear more regularly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. BT's music has literally become one big song. And I love him. And I still love that song. And like that song is a song that's in my heart. And it'll always be a song that I feel... But I am beginning to wonder if his days of experimentation that drew me to him when he was making ambient noise albums and he was making progressive 
music as well as uh, a more classic trance at the same time and he was releasing an album every nine months and wow. they were all very different records and he was scoring and I just wonder not and this is just an examination on the outside he's still one of my heroes but I wonder if he's entering a phase where I still appreciate his work but I no longer find him the revolutionary that he was and that makes sense he was revolutionary in 1996 he can't still be revolutionary he he can still be revolutionary in 2019 David Bowie managed to be super revolutionary I mean he did Diggy, he did Ziggy Stardust and then what was it 15 years later he did I'm afraid of Americans with yeah, Reznor it was, it was a while and so maybe more you know he and then Black Star I mean he remained an evolving creature. But one of the things is BT was also a pioneer of, of, of the format and genre. He was at the forefront of, of techno and trance and pop edging onto techno and trance. We've talked considerably about how he contributed to the pop stars, and that's how this comes all back together. In many ways, when he moved out of that pop star era, when I never want to say that he was... I never want to say that he gave into his fame because he's not like that. That's not something you can say. Producers don't get that famous. There's a handful of producers that get yeah. that famous. BT is not one of those producers. So he never, ever became anything different. He remained the same phenomenal, super humble, grateful to his fans, gives and gives, very about his community, really cool guy. But... His music moved into this, oh, you know, that's a BT song from the second it starts. It has some take on the stutter edit, and it has his specific feedback noise. And I feel like that is, he is becoming a creature who no matter how he assembles the parts, now they're all starting to, the image is always starting to look the same, no matter how he draws it. I have a question for you, because that kind of concept ties into, like, number 20 on my list. But like, And you mentioned Bowie, and I, Prince is kind of the same way, but they were artists who I feel like were never tied down to a genre. So when they wanted to reinvent himself, and Bowie would literally reinvent himself as, like, a new character for this album, you know? and um, But he would, he would go into a different genre or a different take. I mean, like, a Let's Dance Bowie is very different than your Ziggy Stardust Bowie or your Black Star Bowie. Do you think it's harder to... Uh, manipulate yourself or be that malleable when you are in like a a genre like he was boy was a rock guy there's a lot of there's a lot of rock you know the the people i'm going to talk about are are kind of punk like there's not a lot of punk like and i feel like there is a lot of edm but like do you think it's harder kind of when you're in a genre like that like to reinvent or to stop kind of retreading the same ground after a while for certain i think part of the issue is beca- what you become known for. Now, I it's unbelievable that you bring that up. That's a great question. Kevo and I were talking earlier today, and we're huge Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans. It's not just a great show. It's a great show that has a really beautiful sense of diversity and inclusion. It's a very fair show in that regard. And you never feel like you're watching It's a Small World, and they manage to do legitimately funny storylines involving things like why it's important like, like why adult literacy is important and prison reform and it's just a really fucking good show. And for people who don't know, that show was canceled and brought back, right, this season? Yeah, it was canceled and brought back within 48 hours. Okay. So as soon as one network pa- uh, one network passed, another network swooped in and after 24 hours said, we're not going to be able to come to a budget agreement. And then within 24 hours, another network bought it. There was no point at which it was truly going to be gone. And it's actually just gotten better and better 
I wouldn't say that it ever hit that, like, oh my god, it's getting stupid point. It's actually consistently reinventing itself, for which I'm grateful, because the show it started as would have been stale and ruined by now. But the very self-aware and woke show that doesn't shy away from having cops be the subject of racial profiling by other cops. Mm. It's really an important show, and the lead, the, the, the captain, is gay and black. And Andre Brower's performances as the captain is just literally one of my all-time favorite performances of a gay character ever. And that's a lot coming wow. from me, who's real shitty about representation, and I'm really specific, and it's got to be this thing and that thing. This is a straight man getting this role so right. It makes, when Kevo, Jonah, and I all watch it together, it, it like moves us how right they get this. So they make a joke. Anyway, this is so much about that show. Um, they either made the joke in the season finale or the season premiere that just aired in which they say that something about Macklemore Lover and it's just making fun of the fact that Terry Crews' character likes Macklemore. And I made a comment about whether it was last May or this January, that's a really dated joke. And now that nobody likes Macklemore, that's an easy joke to make. <laughs> and I wouldn't say nobody likes Macklemore because he's continuing to release music and make money. He still has millions of followers. So even if Macklemore is like not, you know, thrift shop Macklemore anymore, he's still that guy who had thrift shopped Macklemore. And I think, um, like the ceiling can't hold uh, can't hold us. It's actually aged really well. I think that still gets used in commercials and trailers and shit. And the thing I realized is I don't think we ever liked Macklemore. I think we liked his lingo in Thrift Shop, and I think we liked the choruses on both his singles. And so we were able to turn on Macklemore really quickly. There was a joke early on in Gilmore Girls where Lorelai is going through her CDs and she makes some joke about how she's going to get rid of her Alanis Morissette CD because, you know, we were all fooled by that first one. And again, that's an easy joke to make when she's no longer a prevalent artist and the joke has absolutely no bite because there's yeah. nothing it's actually attacking. But again, Alanis Morissette represented a dynamic shift from what women had been forced into. Don't get me wrong. You had Tori Amos and you had Courtney Love, but you had Tori Amos fingering herself on a piano bench, and you had Courtney Love shooting up. You didn't have a rock woman like an Ann Wilson. And in that regard, Alanis Morissette fulfilled a need, a harder woman who was accessible to suburbia in an aesthetically homogenized way. She fit in with these women even if she sometimes had crazy dreads and videos, but she's still that lady who's just driving her car and there's four of her. And <laughs> that's kind of, I think, the heart of what you're talking about. The artists you're saying, Prince, Bowie, they didn't fulfill a societal need for anything but Prince and Bowie. A lot of the artists that have trouble transforming to a new, a new MO or getting recognized in a new light, they struggle because who they were wasn't the commodity. They served a purpose. Their purpose was the commodity. How how long had it been since BT's last release? Um, two years? Three years, maybe? Okay. And that's a lot longer than usual. You said he was doing nine months at a time 
Yeah, it was se- it was like seriously like something like six albums in like five years, and then nothing but a couple of singles for two years. So with um with my number twenty, which now is that I'm looking at my list might actually be my number nineteen. Um, you know th- this is definitely a list of of my favorite albums of the year. I don't know if I can recommend anyone to listen to this album because I there's no possible way to look at it from a distance for me. Uh, the band that like made me love music and pick up an instrument to learn how to play their stuff and just a, a band that I will always love. Um, my uh, to start off this list, Alkaline Trios is this thing cursed. Loved this album, was expecting disappointment. As we talked about last time, there was so much disappointment this year from bands I was looking forward to. Uh, this did not disappoint me. Um, this is probably their best album since, like, their their peak trilogy of albums. They're a band that had been constantly making albums every 18 months, and they got a little stale, and stuff kind of started to sound the same. And uh, you knew what a Matt Skiba song was going to sound like and where it was going to go and the structure as soon as one started, every time. They took five years between this album and the last one. That's significant. Because Matt did the, the fill-in thing for Blink-182, and he didn't have to do a ton in that band. And I feel like that maybe gave him some time to refill his like creative tank. And in that time, uh, the other songwriter in the band, Dan, he put out two solo albums that really showed him maturing and changing as a songwriter. And then five years later, when they came back together to make an album, they made one that felt fresh and new and exciting. And yeah, sometimes I think just going away for a little while and filling up that tank in a different way and coming back can totally change the dynamic and totally change how a songwriter looks at what they've been doing. Like this still feels like an Outland True album, but it feels like they broke out of that kind of creative rut that they had been in and just kind of repeating their own songs. It felt like they were almost going devolving into self-parody. This was a this was an exciting release. I'm I'm really happy they're back. Still put on a kick-ass live show. And um yeah, like one of the few things that didn't disappoint me that I was looking forward to this year. It is uh it's been a long time since we had some new stuff from them and it was it was nice that it didn't suck. That's killer. You know, it's great to hear that a band was able to remember themselves what it was you loved about them. With bands a lot of people say, "Ah, oh, you know, the the old stuff was always better." And I don't know if it was that it was always better. I just think we it was newer at the time to our ears um before like as we kind of talked about like the band became that band. And they, what they were known for was coming out repeatedly. And it, it's just nice to kind of go back to having them sound fresh again. And that's what's important. As long as they're able to continue making music that supports their fan base, it's when they're kind of like, not I don't want to say insulting their fan base, but being reductive of their fan base and providing the same content over right. and over again. That's, yeah, it's great to hear that they really pulled that out. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting um next on my list is uh time cop 1984's night drive uh synthwave album there's gonna be a lot of synthwave um but time cop is a producer um and he gets other people to kind of come onto his tracks so like there is what is essentially uh the midnight song on this album and it's one of the best album uh the best songs on the album um so it's kind of tough to say it's like it doesn't feel like a cohesive album it, it almost feels like a um a compilation of like the best of synthwave um, but that still does make a, a really good album. Also have Camp Copes, How to Socialize and Make Friends. Um, fun little power pop uh, rock album from, uh, I think, New Zealand, maybe Australia. I've, I'm so sorry. I'm sure if anyone from those countries is, are listening, they're very mad right now. Uh, but I just don't remember. Uh, I saw them live this year, put on an amazing show. Um, Next time, just go for Oceana. 
Nico, how do you feel about supergroups? How do I feel? Uh, uh, you know, I love the traveling Wilbur. No, I think supergroups. It it's really a matter of too many cooks for me mm. most most of the time. I yeah. don't think. I think when you're trying to homogenize, what makes you love ten different things into one thing, you're likely to lose what it is you actually loved about those ten different things. Yeah, absolutely. Someone's someone's voice isn't going to shine through as much. Right, and that's going to leave whoever's coming to the table for them dissatisfied. So I think it's I think it's always risky. Yeah. You really need to know why you're doing it, which sounds like you know a really. I don't know. I feel like it's the curse of the Catwoman or something. Know why you're doing it, but like, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where you need to justify why this is a supergroup and not just a couple of appearances. Right. Like, I think one of the best songs of the last twenty years is Gautier's and Kimber, somebody that I used to know. The idea mm-hmm. that the two of them could possibly do a record together is just about the most foreign thing I can imagine because. Neither one of them, you know, th- that is essentially a Gautier song. She brings that Kimbra sound to it, which is amazing. But that's still essentially a Gautier song at the end of the day. The idea that they could do a record together just because they could, I need a reason. Yeah, and normally I- I'm completely on board with you. Um, and it's why it took me so long to listen to Boy Genius's self-titled, which is the the trio of Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, and... Uh, Last year's, uh, I think, number two on my year-end list, uh, Julian Baker, they came together to uh, put out an EP that is, I think, five or six songs, and is six songs, and absolutely fantastic. It, it feels like each of their own distinct sounds kind of molding together into this uh, really magical combo that's uh, more fun, um, not to say better, but more fun than all of their stuff individually, because uh, a lot of their themes are sadder, darker. I mean, Julian Baker's Turn Off the Lights was entirely about depression and and overcoming addiction so so there's there's stuff's a little bit more fun it it does feel like three friends getting together and kind of making music in a bedroom almost something something we can uh relate to and uh the album worked uh really well for me though it is an ep it's six tracks i don't know if i would want or could or or would expect very much from a a boy genius lp these little experimental things are are cool bursts kind of another one that we're going to get to later on on my list um you know we don't need to do it again, maybe, and I'm, I'm a little afraid I'll, I'll only be let down if they do it again. I really like that you're trying to sell me on this Julian Baker woman by saying she makes room look like Animal Party, but <laughs> I think that you might have gotten me to listen to these three separate people so that I can hear how this is a good supergroup. Yeah, and and uh, the thing is, it's so low-key, it's like it's almost tough to call it a supergroup. It, it, it does really just feel like three songwriters who are friends having fun and, and, and making something together. And part of that, I do feel like, is because it's an EP and not a full album. And that's that's the important thing. Like I said, can you sustain this for a record? That's the mm-hmm. only question. Uh, next up, I have Brian Fallon's Sleepwalkers. Um, yeah, just a, a good album. He's, again, an artist that I can't feel... Um, I don't. I don't think I can be objective. Um, Gaslight Anthem might be one of my favorite bands. That's not called Alkaline Trio. <laughs> also, he. So I was listening to this album, and um, I was trying to figure out why, uh, why it was doing it for me. Because the first time I was listening to this album, it was while I was studying, and I wasn't like listening to it. I was just hearing it. It was kind of on in the background, but like so many of the songs were just like well, I was feeling them more than I was hearing them, and I wasn't sure why. So 
uh, he always puts on great acoustic performances. Uh, and so I, I looked up some of his tracks on on the YouTube, found a, a live performance and interview. And he, he talks about how the, the album was written. He was he was in a long term relationship and um, the person had to uh, move for work. And they were completely unable to sustain the relationship. And like, that is, uh, you know, as I mentioned on the last episode, some stuff happened in my life last year that wasn't great. That is oddly specific, uh, an oddly specific thing to have an album about at the exact time that I'm going through that thing. Um, so I, I do, I don't feel like I could be totally objective about this album. Uh, there's just a lot of songs that hit me in, in a way that was, was too perfect. Uh, I'm just waiting for Tori Amos to release her album about comic books. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nico, I know you listened to this one. Oh, uh, before we get to this, next one on my list um, is a new one, um, Slothrust, uh, with The Pact. I just I actually heard about them after we, we switched the calendars 2019, uh, but it was a 2018 album. They kind of remind me of, like, Sonic Youth in a, in a weird way that I can't put my finger on. Um, really, really crunchy, dark, alternative rock, but they you can tell they have a real sense of how to make a good pop song. Um, the lead singer might be a witch. <laughs> I just love kind of the things she does with her voice and her sense of humor. Yeah, Sloth Rust, definitely check them out. They might make the mixtape that we're going to finalize today. Now, Nico, I know you listened to this one, and there's a couple on here that I know you've listened to, so we can have a discussion here. Uh, how'd you feel about Mitski's Be the Cowboy, or Mitski in general? Uh, I have had, I want to say, four people in the last two weeks ask me how I don't like Mitski or Grimes more. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the two names that everybody's like, how aren't these on your top list? Good question, good question. I know Jonah's listening. So, <laughs> hey, Jonah. how do I... Th- okay, so I think Mitski... I'm kidding, because I actually really enjoy... I enjoy Mitski. I maybe don't get it the way I don't get it about Lady Gaga. Okay. But if I sit down to a Mitski album, I'm going to walk away going, all right, this was good. I at least objectively yeah. recognize it's good for what it is, even if I would never go to put it on. Yeah, I don't... I feel like this is a little bit of a Radiohead uh, Breaking Bad thing for us. It's like, we Mitski's good, but like seeing her top any year-end lists with Be the Cowboy was kind of baffling to me. I really, 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 really am glad you brought it up. I think I saw it on um, top 10 on five or six lists, at least. I, I was very surprised. Yeah, it's it's a good album. I have it, you know, again, the, the, the numbers are changing, but somewhere around like 15, 14. Um, it, it was good. I, I doubt I will be revisiting it, kind of like what happened with her Last album, there's, again, I think, you know what, I bet, we've talked about this on other episodes, I bet I could take these two albums and make an album that I really enjoy, um, but there's not yeah. enough to sustain me for two albums. I have a, I love being able to do that. I actually, one of the things I love is that we keep saying that this show shouldn't exist because now it should just be called Really Good Playlist, you know what I mean? It shouldn't be now anymore. And <laughs> yep. w- yeah. one of the things is the now commercials at the gym actually advertise that you can just, like, download it as a playlist or something. I don't even understand. But I was trying to get somebody to listen to this record that I really love. And I said, you know, I I do actually think this record works better with a little bit of their music as context. It's not just a great record. It's a great growth. And hearing Mm. that makes the record even better. If you're willing to, I recommend listening to some of the earlier work. And I was like, okay, but you know what? The earlier work is a full-length album. An EP that's so long, it's kind of an album. Then, like, 
seven or eight eight track EPs and it starts to get to be too much because then there's like five shorter EPs and yeah, wow, how, that's... yeah, it winds up being like 60 songs but when you actually look at it it's 40 songs and a bunch of different versions And then, but which one do you listen to? So I said, shut up. I'm going to just put together an EP to listen to that's sort of like a best of. There can always be more research done but start with this. And I think one of the best things that ever happened to me is the ability to create playlists that reflect what I actually want to listen to from an artist, where, nah, I like these six songs on this album and these seven songs on this album and only one on that album. There you go. Greatest hits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the, the super group from, uh, that I was going to mention, uh, next on my list is Kid See Ghosts with their self-titled. That is uh, Kanye and Kid Cudi. Uh, Kanye had a pretty prolific year in more, more ways than just music, um, but... As a producer, I really like what he did this year for everyone but himself. I thought uh, uh, his his own album kind of sucked a lot, but um, Kitsy Ghosts was a lot of fun, but it was, again, also v- pretty much an EP. I don't know if I could take a full album of this. I think a lot of the good ideas would start to run out, but this this worked for me. And it's actually, um, there was a lot of hip-hop this year that really worked for me. It seems like this trend of the seven-song short album uh isn't going away and it was extremely successful this year um we, we've talked about the overlong uh lps that have come out this year uh, like between ariana grande and drake there's just some really way too long shit um but there's a, a lot of really short stuff and i'm i'm kind of feeling it if if you feel like you only have enough ideas for 25 minutes but there are really good ideas like you don't have to pad out an album especially now that streaming exists and people aren't buying physical media you don't have to feel bad about it and i like that yeah, and I think the most important thing to remember is <sighs> albums are so influenced by the market, right? Mm-hmm. I do not think this is a good market to release a heavy concept album. No. Right now, if Janet Jackson tried to bust out a Rhythm Nation, it would not work. And she tried kind of with Unbreakable, and you know, it, it was her return to form record, and it did a lot of great things for her career, really successful tours. But one of the biggest complaints I have ever had about Tori Amos is, for the love of Christ, somebody needs to edit her down. When she became her own Mm. producer, all of the records became 21, 25, 28 tracks long. Yikes. Uh, And everything was, it was, you know, there's a standard edition that's 18 tracks, but the more prevalent edition is the bonus track version and any of the digital versions come with bonus tracks and if you put all the bonus tracks together it's 32 songs and it just gets to be too much mm-hmm. even her last release was notably short for her and it was what last year and that was the first time I kind of said okay if this didn't have so many 8 minute songs this would be a normal length record. If even Tori is self-editing, something's going on here. Mariah is another one who likes to do, you know, 16 tracks and then 20 bonus tracks and then a tour special edition disc and an ultimate disc and all this kind of shit. She also did a 10-track album. And so. yeah, and sometimes just streamlining is 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 right. It's the right answer. I I know it is going to come coming from me you're allowed to literally laugh but society really needs to deal with this concept of bigger is better cannot be applied across the board 
Mm-hmm. One of the reasons technology kept having to get bigger and bigger was because technology improving often meant larger technology. You just needed a bigger housing. These TVs were so fucking huge, and they were so big and deep, and I literally remember like my parents being like, I don't trust flat TVs. And <laughs> Anyway, we were trying to maximize value on everything right. by, by Costcoing it. We, this was the grand Costcoification of music, and it ties back into what you said about um, import albums have so many tracks yeah. because they cost so much. Albums just kept costing less and less, and they kept cramming more and more on them. Mm-hmm. And I think it was to get people to buy them, because every artist was doing five digital singles, and only two of which or three of which made it on the radio, but everything got a music video. Two of the music videos clearly cost money, and three of the music videos were filmed backstage while somebody was, you know, messed up on coke, and that's great. But music hit this place where it was, how much can we saturate you to get the best result? One of the only records that I even really have um, a strong feeling about from this year, Kimbra's Primal Heart. There's Primal Heart, which is 11 songs. Then there's four or five bonus tracks, like alternate versions. And then there's an EP of alternate versions. That's another four or five songs. One of those is an alternate version of one of the only cut B-sides, of which there's like two. All said and done, this 11-track album between the very few B-sides and the reworkings, it's like 25 tracks now if you buy everything. They're still finding ways to do it. They're still finding ways to generate the money. They're just not cramming it all into one record anymore. They're spreading it out, and they're saying, buy this little thing, buy that little thing. I think the notion that you would buy a record, you would spend $10 on a record, which, what the fuck ever, you you spend $10 on a record, and you'd get 16 songs, of which you really only keyed in to 11. Maybe their labels realized that hit, you know, as many people as you can with 11 of 16 songs and hope that people don't care about skipping the other tracks. If we're learning anything, it's people are literally too lazy to skip tracks. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's part of what's um, and we, we on the last episode, we kind of talked about how Pale Waves, it seemed like their album was specifically made for streaming and for people to not really give a shit about the album as a whole and just go for those singles but the rest is just there. Again, it's this kind of capitalistic notion of getting your money's worth for art, which if that dies, that's fine by me. Yeah, I think we need to get back to where the art is more important. And it's it's really funny because I feel very differently about something we've talked about on this show. And it's something I only really understand more as a creator now. I also understand that at the time, the example I'm going to use actually doesn't suit my purpose. But it's one of those situations where it kind of does, so just deal with it. So, Christina Aguilera's career and Hanson's career, their first records created international megastardom. They then both released a shit ton Mm -hmm. of garbage between that and their next album. I think... At the time, you know, when we first discussed it, I was pretty critical of it because, you know, I'm critical of everything because I'm a cranky old man. <laughs> but I think that in retrospect, there's that's actually the format that's worked since then. Kesha released Animal and then she released Cannibal right. and then she released I am the dance commander and I command you to dance. 
And in the interim, she released some, you know, iTunes EPs that had acoustic versions yeah. of stuff. And she actually did what those artists did to great success. We had that whole run of artists who did those shitty 9 and 11 track first records where it was the singles, three okay songs, and the mm. rest was like, what the fuck? And they all followed it up with a really strong 8 track second disc. You know, Gaga yep. did it. Kesha did it. A few others did it. And it, it's also that thing we said about Rihanna, where there was that Rihanna song that they put so much money into and ultimately decided it was too similar to another song they were pushing, so mm. they canceled it. Studio time is too expensive. No one's allowed to record anything with just anybody anymore. Yeah. Every track has to be a superstar producer and superstar songwriters, superstar everything. So there isn't room for 16 songs anymore because you're not paying Timbaland for four and The Game for three. Yeah, it's it's part of why I'm not super excited for... <laughs> not to like poo-poo our own podcast, but man, like once we get into like you know, 40 fucking years from now, when we get into 2018, 2019 of the now is like, music is so, this is not, I don't think just because we are old and crotchety, like music just really, pop music especially is really homogenous right now. It all is being pumped out through the same filter. Yes. I don't know how you can tell some of these artists apart. Like they all sound fucking identical. So this morning at the gym, Kevin and I were talking and the conversation we were having was that Between a Rock and a Hard Place came on by Stones and a friend of mine separately I'd mentioned I have a friend and he's a really great guy he's a really cool guy I know him through Insta and he really consistently posts about loving One Direction okay. for a guy who also really consistently posts about loving Tori Amos okay. I find the dichotomy of interests kind of fascinating because I honestly do because I believe this guy's age range would put him a little Actually, I believe a little older than me, and I feel One Direction is a little young for me. I am particularly surprised by this guy's diehard fandom of One Direction. And Kevo brought that up, and he said, you know, for what it's worth, I can think of three One Direction songs I like more than that Stones song, and I don't like that Stones, that's, yeah. you know, that Stones song. And I kind of feel like every generation has good music, and every generation has shitty music. And this idea that music is defined generationally is one of the things that is really holding down the ability to discuss art at times. And I really agree that people are so inherently shitty about music from not their era really is kind of fascinating to me. And that's how I know that that's not what going on for me where I'm not super crazy about everything going on right now in music because there's actually plenty that I'm super crazy about. I really do dig Synthwave, even though that's a bit yeah. of a throwback to our childhood. I really like the newer elements of it. I do like a lot of emerging hip-hop. I do like a lot of emerging pop. What I don't like is that I've literally been listening to the radio chop back uniqueness yep. every year. It's almost like... I remember 20 years ago, there were 30 unique ideas on the radio. And then this year, I feel like there's 10 unique ideas on the radio. And I feel like we lost one a year. And I don't, I don't know when it's going to get better. I, I don't... Uh, I, 
I think when they figure out the best way to get new music out there, because the radio is no longer the chief and priority way that we get our music. I guess. And because of that, millennials really don't listen to the radio. No. And why would they? Yeah. Why should they? Why should they listen to the format of the radio that has fewer songs, fewer choices, more commercials, and frankly, more of an agenda to sell you a product? Satellite radio, it's not the same drive. It's a different experience because you're paying for it. And I I don't think I can tell you the last time no. I turned the radio on in my car. I just turn, yeah, I just turn my phone on. Yeah, there's never a point anymore. And I, I drive sometimes with people who do, and I just, I don't, I don't get it. I can't understand why. Part of it is that when I want something new, I do go on to Google and I look every Friday through the new yeah. music releases. And I say, all right. And, you know, I'll be honest. There's times I just look at a cover and I go, that's mm-hmm. not for me. It's not hard to tell yeah, yeah, if there is heavy objectification of women on the cover and it features a white guy with dreads. I'm not going to enjoy it. I feel like sometimes it turns out that judging a book by its cover is actually fine and good. Yeah. When the cover literally wants you to know that the contents inside are offensive, it's okay to judge the book by the cover. Going to kind of break from the um, the list format for a second right now and just say, because th- these are all kind of clumped in like the kind of the 13 to 9 range. Some other hip-hop albums I love this year was uh, Earl Sweatshirts, some rap songs, also very short. Um, Brockhampton's Iridescence, which I didn't really know a lot about these guys um, until I finally buckled down and listened to this album and was really surprised by it. Um, I'm going to go back and listen to some of their other stuff that I hear is, is even better. This was their first like full release, from what I understand. Uh, if nothing else... Even if things may be being more homogenized, I feel like in a lot of genres, there's a lot more focus on production, and that is a good thing. You do have stuff sounding the same on the radio, but the stuff that does sound different is really... Production is really coming through on a lot of the stuff, and I can always get behind that. And finally, uh, Philly Local, Tierra Wack, put out an album that is so unique and so interesting. So good. Yeah. Um, 15 tracks, or no, uh, yeah, 15 tracks, one minute each. It's actually like a, a movie, kind of a 15-minute short movie for the whole album is on YouTube, and we'll probably just link to that instead of uh, adding any Tara Wack songs to the um, the the year-end mixtape because it's, it's one minute long. I guess um, some disappointment there is that some stuff that feels like you're just getting into it kind of just, just ends, like you wish it could be built into a, a bigger concept, but it wouldn't work. The whole the whole thing wouldn't work if if that happened. Uh, and there's no. a lot of really laugh out loud funny stuff on this album. Um, so definitely check out. I guess go check out the video because it's really fucking cool too. There'll be a link to that on Cage Club. I had her in last year's uh, end of. She's just great. Yeah. So here's a couple that uh, we I know that we've both heard. Um, I'm gonna lump these two together. I actually had Snail Mail's Lush higher than Soccer Mommy's Clean. Uh, and I think now that I've listened to them both on vinyl, I'd actually flip that and say that Soccer Mommies is a better album. I know in the green room many weeks ago when we were talking about the year and stuff, we kind of said that it was, if you put them on back to back, like you might not know when one ended and the other began. I think I think on vinyl, a lot more comes through. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more going on in these albums and Soccer Mommies especially um, does some pretty, pretty interesting stuff on the second half of that album that sets it apart for me. There are some varying ideas throughout that album, more so than, more so than Snail Mails, even though that is a really good album as well um so i kind of do lump these two together on the list but um maybe maybe i shouldn't have interesting and uh you know that kind of wraps up the uh 
that with Boy Genius and, and Mitski kind of wraps up like the indie female singer-songwriters who I felt really kind of dominated my list last year. Speaking of, of domination, this woman has had a fucking year. Um, and God, I love this album. And I, I think it might actually kind of be a little bit of a concept album like we were talking about. It's not the time for. But Janelle Monet's Dirty Computer. Boy, this album is fun, top to bottom. Yeah, it's... I- kind of forgot it was this year already uh you know i love janelle monet i think janelle monet is the bomb shit and as i said previously she's already been a you know the queen of the universe for every gay person ever forever she's amazing uh i just completely forgot this record was this year somehow it's a it's a good one though man um so many great tracks off of it so many great videos that came with it too i'm not sure if every single track has a video but it might and a lot of a lot of really fun art and creativity going on in and around Dirty Computer. Yeah, and you know, it's it's great that she's finally getting her due because we've been saying that she is, you know, secretly a queen for a million zillion years. Mm-hmm. And it we've been saying that, you know, it's nothing it's not that we don't love Beyonce, it's we don't know what Beyonce's doing that Janelle Monet wasn't, that the world seemed to only have room for one of them when they're very different women. And it just really is great to see her come to the top like this. Mm-hmm. Ain't ain't no secret anymore when you're nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys. Not that the Grammys matter. Fuck the Grammys. But, y- you know, Janelle Monet is not a secret anymore. And good. Good for her. Good. Uh, Pusha T's Daytona is on my list as well. Uh, just, to me, the, the best rap album of the year. Again, Kanye's production. Pusha T, uh, someone I've always loved, and yeah, crushed it here, top to bottom. Uh, not a whole lot I could say about it. Short, which I think works once again. Love it. Um, how would you how would you rank the Kanye stuff that came out this year similarly? Honestly, I at some point kind of divested myself of all things Kanye. I don't believe he's a well man. Oh like, no! I literally no, 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 no. believe. Yeah, and I think fame is part of what made him so ill. And Kanye is someone I have chosen to just not go there with anymore. I think... So one of the things I hate about my gym, and it's like I hate two things about my gym. I hate this one guy at my gym. <laughs> and I also really hate that one of the TVs always plays Fox News. Uh, yeah, well... And it's the only TV on that wall... So it's hard to miss. They just like celebrate him right now. Well, yeah, he's he's there, one of the good ones for for this this moment. Uh, even though it's and, clearly some people taking advantage of a unwell, probably bipolar person. Yes, and I've, it's you know like I've been reading all about the R. Kelly stuff that's been coming out, and that's been uh, the documentary. Ooh, how you, and how do you feel about us having like? 15 episodes where we <laughs> where we talk positively about R. Kelly's music. We have none. We just we actually have episodes where we say yeah, yeah. he was a brilliant songwriter once upon a time. Like seriously, I think every episode that is how we do it. Yeah. I think every episode is us going yeah, once upon a time he was a good songwriter. Yeah. But we we make no apologies for thinking he is a giant problem now. Oh, just trash. Yeah, he is literally hurting people, and I had a friend post that she was like, if you can still defend that man, I just, you literally are dead to me, and I, I was like, what did I miss? Sure enough, I'd missed it in the news cycle, uh, changing jobs, and 
uh, kind of got swept up with a lot of stuff going on. I've got some huge projects that I've been working on, and I'm really excited that they're coming out. But I, I have uh, Google cards, and that's how I get all my news. I tell Google, like, the 10 things I want it to tell me about each day. Just, just tell me about these 10 things. I, I just don't have the room in my brain for everything else right now. So when all of a sudden all my friends are like, R. Kelly, R. Kelly, I was like, all right, this is bleeding onto my Facebook. I guess I got to look. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that's what's going on. I would love it if uh, someone just, like, remade, like like <laughs> like a Gus Van Sant's Psycho version of um, Remix to Ignition so that I could not feel bad about liking it still. Uh, just, just, like, the exact same song by a new person. That would be lovely. Thank you in advance for that. So, uh, top five, even though Push T is actually my, my, uh, my number five, and this one uh, is my number six. Uh, Hop Along's Bark Your Head Off Dog. Just a really great indie rock album. I've been following this band since pretty much I I first heard of them, their first or second album. And I've always liked the albums, but um, I never thought one was like amazing. They were all good. And this, I think, really is their breakthrough. No pun intended, since the lead single is called How Simple. But like, it, it it's, it's a simple album, and it's straightforward, and uh, it works really well. And uh, it's their most, it's at the same time, it is their most ambitious album. And uh, yeah, it just, it does all of, it, it takes all of the concepts that they have worked in their previous albums and just kind of masters it and gets it down and, and nails it. And just, you know, that, that track, How Simple, I just, I love the, the lyrics where uh, it's much, it's a more mature album. They, the uh, Francis Quinlan kind of talking about, thinking about her, her breakups and, being older and kind of looking back at them and how like it's 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 okay there there's an optimism to a breakup uh the, the chorus is just like uh how simple my heart can be frightens me don't worry we'll both find out just not together uh and i just i love the simplicity in in that lyric and that concept um and so yeah uh, hop along's barker head off dog did a lot for me this year as did idols's joy as an act of resistance one of the best punk albums of i don't know the last five or ten years for sure um, just a kick-ass punk album from a band that, if you're just listening to them, might sound like a bunch of angry white guys, but is actually a bunch of really positive and optimistic, growling white guys uh, who are singing songs about staying positive and being hopeful and pushing forwards and beating up homophobes. Uh, and it's it's an album that I think was pretty. Um, this was this was the right year for an album like that. That's beautiful. Like just just little simple things like that from uh, a hardcore band is not a usual thing, and it's cool to have such positivity in a genre that is usually known for just like aggression. So, uh, Nico, anything else from your year before I jump into my top three and round this up? Honestly, you know, I have a lot of things that as soon as we stop, I'm gonna scream. Oh, I wish I'd said. I wish I'd said. <laughs> I think the most important thing from this past year with music that I'm walking away with is that the artists that kept my attention are the artists that continue to either reinvent themselves or reinvent what they're Mm -hmm. doing. The artists who are content to re-release the same record again kind of bore me. And, and I'm with you. That's um, a, a lot of the albums that are in my top three are 
first, uh, two of them are our first or second albums from artists, and the other is kind of uh, an album that breaks out of her traditional genre. So um, my number three, uh, an Australian or New Zealand, I forget again, an Oceanic group because I'm the worst. Better say, just start saying Oceanic. Save yourself. <laughs> um, the Muncie Girls' Fixed Ideals, just a really great power pop um, album. Really, really fun, light punk with some great lyrics um, and a lot of political stuff here as well in tracks like Family of Four or Clinic, just kind of talking about reactions to the way that the world is going because, you know, America is not the only country that is facing a crisis of ideology and um, they, they're very upfront about it, but they're also very upfront about, you know, it, it's nice to have power pop and this, this comes with power pop growing up for us pop punk used to just all of it was like i met a girl at a punk show and we fell in love now she doesn't like me and like i i like that the genre has kind of uh certainly that that evolved a different way and you got your like kind of screamo bands but then you've got like bands like you know muncie girls who are doing really different stuff with just light riff heavy uh awesome fucking drum fills all over this album power pop like you can have power pop and pop punk that isn't goofy you know not all of these bands are Blink-182, even though in, like, 2004, all of those bands were just trying to be Blink-182. Desperately for the love of God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, the song that will almost certainly make the mixtape Picture of Health is just, like, it's about being in a relationship and um, both people having depression. <laughs> it's the stuff people don't talk about. And it's presented in this very fun, light way, which uh, I-, I like. And Awesome. <sighs> number two. I was going back and forth on my number two and my number one a lot. And I think I've settled on it being my number two being Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour. I, I know I kind of rebelled against Mitski being number one on a lot of lists. And this album was number one or number two on a lot of year-end lists as well. Um, but I-, I love this one. Have you gotten a chance to listen to this yet? No. It's just a really well-produced album, and kind of to, to bring it back up again, spoilers for our next episode, or I guess maybe it'll actually be the B-side of the February episode, but we kind of, uh, we haven't been super nice to pop country on now and again, and we're really not going to get nice anytime soon, because one of the worst songs I've ever heard is on uh, on the next, on 21. And uh, Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour is, is a Nashville pop country album that kind of sets out to not be like every other pop country album isn't just some fiddles in the background and having a bit of a twang to your voice and now you're a, you're just doing pop songs and, and now you're, you're a country album and you're number one on CMT and you're winning all of the American Music Awards and, and things like that, like every other artist um, in that genre right now. She really made an album that feels like a country album. Um, and she is a big throwback person. She is, she is, it feels like listening to the country music that I remembered hearing um, growing up, you know, um, your 70s, uh, even early '80s country music, it, it it it's not quite along the same lines as this, but it, it it's a lot of the stuff that I fell in love with Patsy Cline for when I finally like listened to her. Um, if this feels along the same lines as that, it feels like country music and not just a pop song with a fiddle. And I, I I've missed that. Maybe my my maybe my and everybody's bar was so low um, that this just smashed expectations, and that's why it's topping so many lists. But, I mean, it is just a beautifully produced, well-written, funny at times, sad a lot as well, um, genuine album. And I'm going to be looking forward to Casey Musgrave's stuff in the future because her. I did listen to some of her other albums and they do just kind of feel like slightly smarter written pop country. And this, it's it's brave. It's a brave album for that genre. I love hearing that. I love hearing brave. Yeah, um, definitely check this album out if you haven't already. And um, lastly, 
Nina, Sleepwalking is my favorite album of the year. You know, we, we love our 80s pop uh, and the throwbacks to it. And Nina... <sighs> Nina feels like the darker version of um, Carly Rae on Emotion. Like, where Emotion feels... Where Emotion feels a lot like... Um, uh, what's her name? Debbie Gibson or, like, Tiffany sometimes. I feel like... I feel like Nina seems more like taking shades from, like, Berlin or, like, some of the the darker kind of synth pop of the 80s and New Wave, uh, Naked Eyes, artists like that. Yeah, just every track on there is, is fantastic. Just listen to it. Like, that's all I can say is, is go listen to this album. It's You can find it on the internet without stealing it, Bandcamp. Um, and for all pretty much all of the things we've mentioned, definitely go to Cage Club in the liner notes and check out the mixtape that we will be finalizing today and, and dropping uh, by the time uh, one fifteen rolls around. Huh. So, that's my list. Anything else from you, Nico? You know, I I get through everything I get through as I talk about it. You know, it's, um... It's, yeah... I don't know. I feel like this year was a lot of moderate letdowns. It just wasn't yeah. anything like where I'm like, wow, that was the... Mariah didn't release Glitter this year. BT didn't release, you know, the worst thing he's ever done. This wasn't the year where I felt like Tori lost her mind and the release was just unforgivable. It was just, like, a boring year. You know, if you took my top five from last year, say it came those five albums came out this year, I think, like, four of the top five would be from last year. It's it's just night and day the quality from this year to last. Like, and not that any of these albums are are bad. Just in comparison to like, just in comparison to a melodrama or a mass seduction, like they they were better. They was just, oh, better music Saint Vincent. Year. Yes, the Saint Vincent album. That was that was my shit this year. That like that rocked me through December. Sorry, there. I thought of so. Did, did you take that? Was that something that you discovered through our year end last year, or was there um, a different album? No, the, the remix album. <laughs> So what happened? She did was, like a slow mass seduction. They right? did a stripped down version yeah. of that record. Yes, and that caught my attention. Well, Kevo found Los Angeles. Then the record that I checked out because I'd listened to it last year at some point. But then the record that I was really like stuck on was the stripped down version yeah. record. Yeah, it's very good. I didn't list that because it was just you know, kind of the more of last year. Yeah, um, but the. The stripped down stuff is really, really good. Because St. Vincent's really, really good. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, that was our 2018 year in review. Um, something else that happened in 2018. And we, because so many of our episodes were kind of recorded in advance due to just life, <laughs> we can no longer have an, a running joke about, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of running jokes we'd love to hear us put in the grave, but we can no longer have a running joke about there being a fake Patreon. Because Cage Club has a Patreon now. So you should Patreonize it. So head over to cageclub.me where you will find our mixtape and links to stuff like the Tierra Whack video um, and a link to the Patreon. But I will tell you also it is as simple as patreon.com slash cageclub where your donation can alter the course of Cage Club history. And there's so much more coming in 2019 for the network. Um, And now our own little announcement uh, as we kind of hinted at and granted, we kind of went away from now this year a little bit uh, for most of the fall, and we are getting back to it. But 
we're going to go away from it again. Because like we said, we don't want to get to the current day. It sucks. So we want to stretch out the mid-2000s as much as possible. (sighs) And we've joked about this for a long time. And this is another ongoing joke that I guess we'll have to put to bed because it's becoming real. We don't know the name of it yet. We don't know if it's going to be part of Now and Again or if it's going to be its own show. But come like April or May, the Emotion Minute is coming. We're doing it. We are doing a deep dive into Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen song. Something like that. It's not going to be the minute-by-minute breakdown of the show like we kind of said. We're going to go track by track. We don't know how long we're going to get. It's just a requirement for some of our life stuff that we need to do shorter episodes um, come like May, June, July. Uh, Of course, if you go to Patreon and change that, maybe we we wouldn't have to, but um, just saying. And in the interim, you'll be able to catch X's for Podcast, which is going weekly starting in February. Right? That was the announcement I was supposed to make before? Oh, I did. I did make no, it. You can no, cut that. Do it again. Let's remind the folks at home uh, where they can find you, Nico. Oh, shit. Uh, you can find me weekly here on mcu.html, where Kevo, my amazing husband, and I cover the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then are moving on to a next secret project. We're very excited. We're already thinking about how to get it ready. You can also check me out weekly on X's for Podcast, where Kevo and I, along with our amazing boyfriend Jonah and uh, my best friend Kyle... Uh, do uh, X-Men. I, I had to freeze because I say with my best friend Chris on the other show. So like it's I comment all the time that everybody I do podcasts with are like, you know, the loves of my life. Um, but you can check out X-Men for Podcast where we're doing the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise starting with Giant Size X-Men number one. Uh, you can check us out here no matter what form it takes. You can also check my music out at facebook.com slash action duo. I just need like one website that I send everybody to soon. You can check mm-hmm. out my thoughty, needlessly um, thirsty posts on Insta at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And not to mention and not to forget, you can check out my awesome inclusive webcomic, Kid Riot at KidRiotComics.com where we are kicking off some crazy shit in the next few months. Keep your eyes there. We're going to be making some really big announcements uh, about some really cool stuff. As always, you can check me out throughout the year at Comic Cons. I have some amazing Comic Cons coming up. You guys can check us out in February at KatsuCon, one of the biggest fan conventions of the year. Don't forget, we will always be at AwesomeCon. This year, AwesomeCon is going to be in April. You can check us out with the LGBTHQ booth. You can also see us, yes, at NYCC, where you will be able to check us out, like always, every year. Chris, other than behind your computer screen, where can everybody find you? Uh, Just here and at Chris Podcasts on Twitter. Um, So it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun, varied year uh, over here at the show. And uh, I'm really looking forward to a lot of it. I am too, man. This has been a wild ride. When I started this, I didn't listen to podcasts and... Now I have two weekly podcasts and a twice-monthly podcast. They all do very different things with very different people, and it's been a weird ride, and I can't wait to see what we do next. Thanks for sticking with us for, I guess, this is our third? Um, This is my third year-end episode, my second with Nico. And um, yeah, 2019, now and again, should be fun. So thanks for coming along with the ride, and as always, we'll catch you on the flip side.
is aging. Shooters go after Judas. Jesus Christ, if I live life on my knees, ain't no need to do this. Park it in front of looters. Next to their church is chicken. All you pussies that losers. All my niggas is winning, screaming all my life. I want money and power. Respect my mind or die from that shot. I pray my dick get big as the Eiffel Tower. So I can fuck the world for 72 hours. God damn, I got bitches. God damn, I got bitches. God damn, I got bitches. Wifey, be girlfriend, and mistress. All my life, I want money and power. Respect my mind or die from that shot. I got 25 lighter on my dresser. Yes, sir. But fire to that ass body cast on the stretcher. Everybody got that ass that a ruler couldn't measure. And it make me come fast, but I never get embarrassed. And I recognize you have what I've been wanting since that record. That Adina Howard had probably fast to impress her. She rolling, I'm holding my scrotum, imposing. This voice here is golden, so fuck y'all, I goes in.